This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss health and wellness learnings with industry insider George Barakat. We'll learn about the art of adapting with Dr. Stacy Irvine. We'll discover science-based approaches to healthy aging with David Nelson. And lastly, we'll find out why it's important to get regular blood tests with Cheryl Petrick. But before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. Here's another reason to forego boxed and bagged snacks. A new study out of Tufts University links men who consumed high rates of ultra-processed foods to a 29% higher risk for developing colorectal cancer than men who consumed much smaller amounts. The researchers did not find the same association in women. Men with low testosterone who develop COVID-19 are at elevated risk of becoming seriously ill and ending up in the hospital, according to a new study from the University of Washington School of Medicine. They found that men with low testosterone who developed COVID-19 were 2.4 times more likely to require hospitalization than men with hormone levels in the normal range. Here's another reason to cut back on your sugar intake. A study of mice at the Columbia University Irving Medical Center found that dietary sugar alters the gut microbiome, setting off a chain of events that leads to metabolic disease, prediabetes, and weight gain. The findings suggest that diet matters, but an optimal microbiome is equally important for the prevention of metabolic syndrome, diabetes, and obesity. That was your Tonic Quick Shot. I'll be joined by George Barakat in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. Your family's health and wellness needs should come first. These days, taking care of a loved one should be as easy as ordering goods and groceries to your door on your smartphone. You need MedWorks, an at-home service that pulls it all together. We make health care and wellness services easy to navigate. MedWorks, at home your way every day. Download the app today. MedWorks. George Barakat is the CEO and directing mind of MedWorks, a healthcare technology company. He's also the founder and former CEO of Jack Nathan Health, where he spent over 20 years building and shaping a chain of more than 150 medical and multidisciplinary health clinics across Canada and Mexico. George is an expert in health and wellness technology and virtual medicine. Hey, George, how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Jamie? Excellent. So when you talk about health and wellness, what do you mean by that? Health and wellness really looking forward into the future has to be approached with a much more holistic lens. You can't have health care without wellness. If you do, you're missing a very important piece of the puzzle, and that is how do we transcend from preventative health care or reactive health care to preventative health care? We have to really think about 
not just healthcare as its own dichotomy, but how do we incorporate actual ancillary services and wellness services into the mix so you as an individual or user can think about healthcare of, you know, maybe I need to go to the gym today, a personal trainer. Maybe I need to look at my well-being from the outside in. Maybe I need my outer appearance to reflect more of what my inner appearance feels like. All of these synergies in healthcare really would lead to a more holistic approach and a more holistic mindset. And when you get that going, it's almost like a person that trains real hard and they get addicted to training. Yeah. And, you know, once you get into it, they call it, well, training's my religion. Right. Yeah. You know, so you go down that path and it's almost like you can't be without it because it feels so good. Once we get everybody thinking a little more holistically about their healthcare and wellness, you're going to see a big quantum shift. In talking to you sort of outside the studio, I know you take sort of an expansive view of health and wellness, which is sort of my approach to it, right? It's like the fundamental interconnectedness of everything that you do. You know, the good night's sleep, which feeds into fitness, which feeds into, you know, weight, which feeds into, you know, circling back to sleep or how you feel about yourself or your ability to fight off a virus. You know, all those things sort of mesh together. And that's why it's so important to view health and wellness, as you say, holistically. Why do you care so much about health and wellness? Well, I mean, it's no secret. We're all getting older. So we've got to think about this from how it's going to affect ourselves, how our children are going to be responsible for our well-being potentially eventually. I think that when you look at healthcare and what we've just gone through in the pandemic, we can all attest to the fact that our healthcare was definitely ill-equipped to handle a global pandemic that only lasted two years. You roll the clock forward, one-third of the population is going to be over the age of 65 in the next 10 years. It's going to make the pandemic look like a cakewalk. There isn't going to be enough beds. There isn't going to be enough providers, ancillary service providers or main providers. So I think that when you look at why it needs to evolve and greater access to healthcare service providers needs to be available, I'm really passionate about trying to solve that problem. And again, it's not looking at how do we replace the existing system, but we need to think about how do we complement and augment it at this point so that we can think of it as more of a lifestyle choice. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, with regards to your own self, your own healthcare, wouldn't it be great if you could approach healthcare the way somebody approaches the gym that goes five, six days a week and for the longest time they haven't worked out, they get back into it, it recharges their core, their energy, and, and then missing it, missing a day of workout is almost sacrilege. I get cranky as hell. You know what I mean? So yeah. you, you start saying, hey, this is my religion, Right. you know, working out. You are actually on a course of preventative healthcare, preventative wellness, without even knowing it. Imagine if you could look at healthcare the exact same way, where you could pre-schedule your physicals once a year, pre-schedule going to the lab and having your metrics measured and have that all put into your calendar. You pre-schedule massages for yourself, for your loved ones, for your wife, outpatient care, remote patient monitoring for a grandparent. All of this should be at your fingertips. I'm real passionate about trying to not solve this problem, but add value to it. So it's personal to you then, right? 100%. So let's talk a little bit about your personal history, how you became involved in health and wellness in the industry. Well, I came involved 
probably around 2005, 2006, I had this great idea of how do we bring the providers to the patients? And it dawned on me, I had a quite historical long-term relationship with one of the largest retailers in the world when they first came to Canada, Walmart. And I approached the individual at Walmart who was in charge of licensing at the time with this idea. And you know what? It took us a couple of years to get it off the ground, but we ended up revolutionizing the walk-in clinic within Walmart stores and made healthcare accessible to all. Now, when you look at the sheer amount of traffic that comes through those locations, bringing the most trusted entity of the community within the box, within a major retailer, was a big accomplishment. For sure. It wasn't looked on or looked upon very favorably by the doctors initially, but now when you see what healthcare from a retail perspective could become, we're only at its infancy stage. What was the reluctance? Why didn't the doctors appreciate what you were trying to do? Well, I believe that our healthcare system and globally our healthcare system has been set up in a way where there's an overarching government control system on what you can and can't do, which, you know, allows or doesn't allow doctors or providers to spread their wings and really look at how do we provide more efficiencies in healthcare. It's more along the lines of can we operate within our parallel line? When you look at what happened in the pandemic, that stay in your lane mantra, that attitude that government globally control over healthcare and what you can and can't do actually crippled the healthcare system by far. Only where you see that individual healthcare systems on a global level where there, it was a little more available, where options were presented and showcased not just what was available within the government lines, but outside the government lines, partnerships with retailers, individuals where there was a semi-private system where you could reach out to the actual consumer and the user. I mean, we live in a healthcare environment where we are told how we have to consume our healthcare. And the reality is we just got told to consume our healthcare a certain way. And it really hurt during the pandemic because accessibility and availability turned out that it wasn't available. You were sort of on the front lines during the pandemic with, mm -hmm. with the clinics, and I know you had to pivot a few times. What are some of the takeaways from your experience at that time, operating the clinics, and then in particular vis-a-vis -vis the pandemic? Well, once the pandemic hit, it really changed how we operated the retail front-facing clinics, and everything turned into what was acceptable to operate inside the actual premise, what had to go digital right. through telemedicine, which yeah. was amazing because not only from a retailer perspective, but from a clinic perspective, we just advanced digital medicine by 10 years during this pandemic. So there was some positivity, a silver lining that we could look at. Sure. From a retailer perspective, you saw big box retailers really step up. And I got to say that it was impressive to see how they could accommodate consumers, users, how they could get groceries into their hands. Again, I've partnered with a lot of big box retailers in my time, but when you see it firsthand, you know, on what they do and what it takes for them to get their shelves full, you know, keep that stock in place, make sure the doors are open, take the safety precautions, millions upon millions of dollars invested into making sure the stores are sanitized on a daily, nightly level. This is all, obviously, they're, they're generating sales, but the undertone of that is they really want to help the community. So they're achieving both goals. On the medical clinic side, you can only align to that so much without the government restrictions jumping sure. into play yeah. and saying, no, you can't. Yes, you can. No, you can't. I think that, and I just came back from a seminar panel discussion that I participated in in New Orleans with our board, uh, the Convenient Care Association of America, the CCA. We were guests at the Open Minds Conference 
And the premise of the panel discussion was, how do we partner with retailers in the mm -hmm. U.S.? Okay. You know, you're talking about a landscape where major retailers have probably more resources than, you know, a thousand clinics put together per store. They want to be able to partner with you because their association with a quality provider means a lot as a service that they could provide to their consumer. Sure. It's all about them trying to put their arms around that holistic approach as well, because believe it or not, whether it's a small retailer or a big retailer, and whether they carry groceries, leisure, OTC, or pharmacy, that is a big piece of the healthcare conversation. Start with grocery alone. What you need at the OTC level and prescription. It only makes sense that the medical industry should look at a more collaborative relationship. Did you change your philosophy of healthcare and wellness as a result of the pandemic? Because I know you had to pivot from sort of operating the clinics to a more telemedicine model. So how did that change the way you viewed things or did it? Maybe it didn't. It changed it 180 degrees. There will always be a place for brick and mortar medical clinics as right. there are certain things that you cannot do. But what the pandemic showed us, what there is a ton of stuff that you can do with the right technology and how it's connected to other ancillary service providers through a digital experience or a telemedicine experience or a phone experience with a provider. That is just the tip of the iceberg. We are only scratching the surface. You can, these days, by leveraging technology, hook up a series of remote patient monitoring tools so you can monitor a loved one at home instead of putting them into an extended living center. That alone could save consumers an average of hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, depending on how severe the needs were. But with regards to how my thought process is now is we need to expand at-home healthcare service. The time is now to do that. We've already scratched the surface, but I believe in my heart of hearts that we've got to make it a lot more open and a lot more available so that the consumers can choose. It's not about moving to private medicine. It's about wrapping your arms around existing services that are already out there promoting themselves. Why not put it all in one place? That brings me to my next question, which is your current endeavor, which is MedWorks. Do you want to explain a little bit about that? Absolutely. MedWorks is a patent pending application that literally takes the SaaS learnings from an existing model that we all know. Whether you're using Uber Eats or Skip the Dishes or ordering groceries, or goods or groceries, you are all using the same technology, which is shopping cart technology, scheduling, and geofencing. So our app literally takes that identical technology where all you have to do is put in your address into the address bar and high quality healthcare and wellness services appear in your region, delivered to your home or to your device. So again, imagine once you put in your address and you could have, let's say, someone in your house isn't feeling well, you could have a paramedic at your door. You want to schedule remote patient monitoring for a loved one? No problem. Physicals once a year? No problem. You want to schedule a mental health appointment? You can have it on your device or at your home. You want to schedule some physiotherapy, outpatient care, personal training. This should all be available. MedWorks is going to make it available. MedWorks, literally, our tagline is at home your way every day. You learned a lot when you were operating the clinics and through the pandemic. What have you learned since you started MedWorks? I've learned that to shift the focus from reactive medicine to preventive medicine, it has to be economical and it has to be compelling. Those two words alone, if you break them down and look at what would be the solution, if you had economical and compelling equals convenience. So part two of our MedWorks operation is we have your own personal healthcare coordinator. We labeled it our MADI department. So you could have somebody in our MADI department reach out to you within 24 hours and tell them what you need. 
All you'd have to say to associate from our Maddie department is, I need massages scheduled on Tuesday for my wife, my husband. I would like a manicure, pedicure for my mom. You know what? Schedule physicals once a year. Literally transact on them and Maddie will put them into your iOS or Google calendars and set reminders so you're ready to go. That's the difference. You mentioned the cost, right? And the convenience. I think with all wellness, right, whether we're talking about remote or whether we're talking about an app, when you're trying to change hearts and minds, if people have been doing things for a long time, it can't be at a premium. You can't just preach to the converted. Like you and I, we both exercise, right? So I wouldn't need to say to you, George, you know, it's time for you to go work out, right? But for somebody who hasn't, it's bridging that mindset. If it isn't cost efficient, if it isn't convenient, you're asking somebody to attach a premium to a new behavior, which is absolutely a barrier to it. When the green industry started, the only way people were going to buy the green goods is if they were cost competitive. Because if it was a premium that was attached to it, you were only preaching to the converted. So if you had, for example, a tankless water heater. If it costs more money, the only people that were going to use the tankless water heater were the people who already believed in tankless water heaters. The average Canadian was not going to do it because it was costing them more and they couldn't see the benefit. Once you see the benefit, once you bridge that gap and start doing what is necessary to do in a new way, then maybe you're prepared to spend more on it because you can see the value. So I totally agree with you. That entry level has to be cost efficient and make sense on a convenience basis. So I'm with you. Yeah. Just to add to that we're not in practice management. What we do is we're putting their brands on. I get it. Yeah. So it's the paramedox. It's, you know, the physiotherapy company, the mental health company, it's their brands. That being said, this is going to change things for the better. We're not trying to compete with our social system, but wouldn't it be great if you could hit a button on your phone, have a paramedic at your door because you weren't feeling well, instead of clogging up the hospital system, right? because you're using it as your open walk-in clinic. So what? You pay a premium. You would anyway to community paramedics. They're doing it today. So we're not doing anything out of the norm. We just want to help. But you are asking people to think about their health proactively as opposed to being reactive, right? So you injure yourself, you go to the hospital, maybe you go to emergency, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're trying to prevent illness by doing all these things that might be good for you, physiotherapy, dietitian, whatever it might be, that's a different mindset. 100%. But if you do need care right away, yeah. you now have an option of don't wait at the hospital for six to eight hours. Right. We can get someone to your door in 30 to 60 minutes. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's compelling. The other services, you're absolutely spot on. Today, you know what? This is like the most exciting part of this is, Jamie, you're going to laugh. Last time I was here, I actually watched a program. They were interviewing doctors, and I've been using this in every one of my panel discussions where they were saying aging is a disease that can be cured. So I, I added actual line, a completion line to that, that aging gracefully needs to become a lifestyle. And yeah. that's what MedWorks is going to do. So how can better health care and wellness services allow us to age gracefully? How does that actually work? Well, I think we've been talking about it. It really is shifting the mindset to preventative health care. The only reason why you, your wife, your kids, your grandparents aren't looking at health care preventative is because there's nobody there to hold their hand, put it in their schedule, get it all organized for them. Imagine a world where you could do that. Either do it yourself by looking at options available by putting in your address, make a phone call. We don't charge at MedWorks for that personal healthcare coordinator. MedWorks is going to really want to, and this is why I believe that healthcare needs to not just change, but improve. We want everybody to think about healthcare from a preventative aspect. Otherwise, our hospital system and what we just went through in COVID, we won't survive, A, another pandemic with our system the way it is, let alone the next 10 years of the aged population. And you know what? There's a lot that's right. 
Yep. And like every healthcare system globally, it just needs a little bit of improvement. Till next time. Thanks, Jamie. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Dr. Stacey Irvine is the co-founder of Totem Life Science. The philosophy and identity of Totem have been greatly influenced by Stacey's love of athletics and her passionate belief that everyone will benefit from a healthy, active lifestyle in their own unique way. Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and training program strategies. And she's a frequent guest on this show and happens to be our cover feature. You wrote a fantastic article for the September-October issue. Welcome back, Stacey. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. And yeah, the cover has been really fun and I've had lots of great conversations with people about it over over the last few days. It's been wonderful. And it's time to have another one because we're going to talk about your article, which <laughs> yes. is all about adaptation, which is so relevant right now. So why do you think adaptation and adapting really is so important? In one word, survival. Right. We talk a little bit about that, but to expand on it a bit, I think we need to understand that that is how we evolve. And that is how we improve is by doing kind of a good assessment of where are we at What's working? What's not working? And how can I make it work a little better, maybe? And for me, in the fall, this is a wonderful time to do this. I'm such a nerd that I see the kids going back to school and university, and I'm actually jealous of them. I love that excitement, and I love the idea of getting back into routines. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I love summer. I love relaxing, sitting on docks with cocktails. But there's a limit to that. And I find that when fall rolls around, I'm super excited, and I think it's a great time for all of us to say, okay, you know what? What went well last year? What can I change this year? How can I make things a little better? And and adapting is a huge part of that. So like this time of year, I still get nightmares that I've, I have exams to write that I haven't studied for. You know, like I, I still think of it as the new year. Yes. Like I think for a lot of people, you know, they think of September as the actual start I of the year. I completely agree. So like if you're making a resolution to change, right? So maybe, you know, change adaptation, maybe this is the time for that. But you're speaking to somebody who really resists change, right? Like one of the- One of the reasons I I was happy that you wrote the article is because I don't think I could write it personally. It's antithetical to me. Right. Although I've gone through so many changes in my life, 
so you wouldn't think that about me? Yeah, that's very interesting. That surprises me about you. It surprises everybody. Because you have made some big changes and they've been successful. So somehow you've maneuvered yourself to figure out a way to adapt, which is great. And I completely agree on this whole, like the timing of this. I think fall is perfect. You know, we talk about it sometimes in the new year, but I feel like there's so much pressure around that. And it's kind of a crappy time of year. To me, fall is inspirational. It's wonderful to get outside and be active and reconnect with people that you haven't seen during the summer. So so to me, fall is the time. If, if you're a person like you who are resistant to change, I think now is the time to go for it. Okay. So I, I think a lot of people are more open to change simply because we've had so much of it sort of foisted upon us, yes. right? Like it, like it wasn't voluntary change. It was change or else. And of course, we're talking about the pandemic. What are some of the learnings for you that come out of the pandemic? It's such a good thought. And you're absolutely right when you say it was forced upon us. And I think that that was the problem with the pandemic is that it was too much too soon. You know, even though we talk about this and some people are good adapters and some people don't like change as much, at the end of the day, we need it in doses. And, you know, it can't be everything all at once. So for me, the pandemic was extremely challenging because, you know, I work in healthcare. I have three teenagers. I have an active lifestyle like yourself. I had created a system of, you know, this is where I get my groceries. This is when I do my workout. This is, you know, where I take my kids and how I structure all that. And that all went to complete crap with the pandemic. So I think for all of us, there was this letting go. Okay, you know, that doesn't work anymore. We cannot do that anymore. We're actually not allowed to do that. So that was extremely challenging for me and for my family. We did the whole Michael Jordan thing where we wrote down the stuff we were giving up and, you know, how the Chicago Bulls, you put it in a fire and you burn it and you say goodbye to it. You know, we actually had to do some of those processes of letting go of things that we really loved that were no longer available. Okay, so you do that. That's kind of the first step in saying, okay, things are going to change. What I learned from it is that there are many ideas that you and I have told many of our friends and many of the people that we work with. And I've told my patients things like getting outside, eating healthy, getting a good night's sleep, you know, spending quality time with the people you love in a safe environment. All those things were magnified with the pandemic. And then you saw people who said, you know, I've never gone on a hike in my life. All of a sudden, that was their only option. And now I think you're seeing people taking up things like I was just camping recently. The campgrounds are fully booked. It's never been like that before. I think a lot of people fell in love with the outdoors. And to me, that was a huge, really important learning. Human beings were designed to be outside for a big chunk of our days. Okay, so we need to be able to get back to that. I think we learned that being cooped up inside, crowded together is not the best for our health. And sitting all day is not the best thing for our health. And so those are the little pieces that kind of resonate with me is that you got to move every day. You got to get a good sleep. You know, please prioritize what you eat. Take some time. Don't just, you know, constantly do this fast food, unrewarding type of eating. Really sit down with your family or people you love and and eat something that's healthy. So I think there's some great learnings and silver linings now that it's behind us. And hopefully we never go back to 
it. Yeah. You also benefit from working with professional athletes who yes. I, I know you think are great adapters. Yes. Why is it that the professional athletes are so good at adapting? It's an interesting question. And we look to professional athletes in many ways. You know, when we're doing rehab and things like that, we'll say, you know, what were the professional athletes doing? Because they have a perfect environment and it's well controlled. Right. So if you think about the life of a professional athlete, let's say at 18, they discover we work with a lot of hockey players. So I'm a very good hockey player. I'm going to go to the pros. It doesn't end there, right? right? It's always adapting. So they have to look at a game and say, how did that game go? What can I improve? What can I make different? And and athletes, the good ones, are very good at being unemotional and analytical because they've done it their whole lives. Even right. when they were little, they were the kids. When you told them something, they listened to you and they said, oh, yeah, I'm going to make that change and I'm going to become a better player. Right. Once you've been trained that way and you've seen success, that's key too, right? Is that I make a change and I get success from the change. Then I think you're really well on the way to being a good adapter. Okay. So let's talk about the types of things that people can do to actually adapt. Things that you've seen your professional athlete patients do or people who you're training with who you see are successful in in making necessary changes. Where do you want to start? I think you have to start with how do you feel about it in the first place, Mm -hmm. right? And we always talk about kind of the low-hanging fruit. What are the big items that you can change that aren't going to disrupt your whole world too much? Sleep, is to me the biggest one. Without a good night's sleep, everything tends to go off the rails. We don't eat as well. We're stressed more. So so I think that's a really simple kind of low-hanging change that is an easy one to make, hopefully, for most of us. And then I think journaling, you know, writing down what's happening in your life, what's going well, what are the pitfalls that you are finding yourself in, and then really sitting down and taking an analytical look at that and saying, you know, what am I finding here? So are you looking for patterns? Yeah, definitely patterns and frustrations. You know, what happened to make you not make a good choice for your health or for your work or for your family or whatever? So so really taking a step back and saying, okay, what is actually happening here? And I think, you know, understanding that change is a challenge. So don't underestimate that there's going to be a little bit of hardship that comes with it. You're going to feel a little bit uncomfortable and that's okay. And then how do you deal with the increased stress from that challenge? So, you know, meditation, maybe doing, you know, things to kind of give yourself a bit of a reward when you've made the change and you know maybe it's doing a yoga class or taking some extra time to go to the spa or go get a massage or something that you like to do go get a new workout outfit you know just things to kind of acknowledge like look this is what I did I accomplished this it was it was a challenge for me but I actually put myself out there I figured out what needed to improve and I did the work to get there and then I rewarded myself for that. I think it's a good system. I agree. I would add, to me, everything is driven by time. So the one thing that the pandemic taught me is our relationship to time, right? Like now what you're seeing is people making decisions about how much time they want to spend traveling to go to work, for example, or how they're going to fill the time that is theirs. Obviously, you know, a lot of us work, so that time isn't ours. But the time that we have for ourselves, how are we going to spend that time? How do we unwind? So you were talking about going outdoors. I love that. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's reading a book or maybe it is 
doing something different with your time, which allows you to move forward in a different way. Right. Because, you know, your options are different now that the world yeah. is getting back to. I don't want to use the N word normal. Right. It, I, I know it, what you're saying. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like what you are doing with that time and the value that you place on that time will edify exactly how capable you are of making meaningful change, I think. I agree. And kind of what you're talking about, too, is being a very active participant. You know, don't let the yeah. change just come and roll over you. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So that's where the kind of the analysis comes in is look at it. What do I want? What's going to work well for me? And right. you be the active person to say that's the change I want to make without having external forces put it on you. Right. And make the time to make that change yeah. because all these processes will take time. They do. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. It's great to be here. For more information about Stacy, visit totem.ca. To read her article in the September-October issue of The Tonic magazine, please visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss science-based approaches to healthy aging on The Tonic. Lack of magnesium can lead to serious health issues. Sadly, one in three Canadians aren't getting enough. Common signs include trouble sleeping, low concentration, irritability, headaches, muscle cramps, or spasms. Could you be lacking? Choose from New Roots Herbal's Ultra Gentle Magnesium Bisglycinate, Heart Mag for added cardiac support, or Clarity Mag, a no-brainer for anyone over 50, exclusively at health food stores. To find a store near you, visit newrootsherbal.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. David Nelson is a fellow at Invivo Planetary Health, a part of the Nova Institute for Health of People, Places, and Planet, located in Baltimore, Maryland. David attended the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, is a health food retail and wellness service business owner, and he's written numerous academic articles. He currently has one out, which is establishing the importance of acid alkaline balance in the foods that we eat. And he lives in Woodstock with his family. Welcome back to the show, David. How are you? Thank you, Jamie. Good. I'm doing really, really well. The uh, end of summer is around and there are certain things to celebrate, not celebrate about that, but I'm looking forward to pumpkin season. Yeah, I hear you. So, you know, I'm getting up there. At least I think I'm getting up there. I'm firmly entrenched in middle age. And as such, I spend perhaps an inordinate amount of time wondering about the aging process and my journey through it. But you're here to tell us today there's some scientific-based approaches that we can take to make that journey run a little bit smoother and maybe slower. How about that? Yeah, there's a lot going on, actually. The last 20 years have seen a lot of interest. You know, let's just talk about the wellness industry as a whole. It's transformed over the last two decades. It's no longer the domain of hippies and peanut mill grinders and wellness nuts who are, you know, that's their way of life. And we kind of thought, oh, you're eating a salad, it's rabbit food. That's not the way it is anymore. Right. Wellness has become a very large industry. And actually, this was predicted in a book called The Next Trillion by a guy, an economist named Paul Zane Pilzer, who said that when a large portion of the the population begins to age, anti-aging and wellness will be become part of the things they're seeking. Well, it's funny, you know, you used to hear, what was it, 40 is the new 30, 50 is the new 40, 60 <laughs> right, is the new right. 50. Like, we keep having to say that as the boomers and Zoomers get older, you know, that's the focus, right? A poor Gen X like me, uh, we're just carrying along for the ride. Well, it's interesting. I think athletes are giving us a little bit of indication on what's possible. You know, if you look yep. at Serena Williams and Tom Brady, two yep. examples of careers that span long periods of time with great success, things can be done. They may be genetically gifted, but they also follow a lifestyle that 
allowed them to perform at that level for that long. I mean, if you hear about, for example, Brady's regimen, for example, LeBron's regimen, right? Those mm-hmm. two superstars mm-hmm. who've had long careers. I'm not sure everybody has the resources or the time to do I all agree. that, but I think we can adopt some of their strategies in, into our daily lives and maybe make things better. What do you think? Well, definitely. I mean, what you want to do is, I mean, the idea is that you want to live a long and relatively disease and then dis-ease free life. So disease is like the state or the condition that's identifiable, like you have diabetes. Right. Dis-ease is you don't really feel that well. And that you really don't feel that well. That always precedes the disease. The dis-ease or the uncomfortableness precedes the disease. So how do we do that? How do we live a high quality of life and a high quantity of life? Well, it turns out there are six things that we can do. Okay. And I'll just break them down quickly and then we'll talk about some of the super advanced science and I'll bring it all together with something called the blue zone. So here's the six things. Yep. You do need to eat real food. So that's nutrition. It has to be nutrition that matters. You do need to exercise. You need to have movement that matters. And that can be walking. It doesn't have to be high intense, high intensity. Like the research shows, walking is good and it will provide the benefit that you need. You need to sleep well. We're stealing hours of sleep by being on our phones and being distracted by media-like things. We need great social relationships. Actually, so I'll talk about this later, but that's turning out to be a key predictor in longevity. Yep. We need mental space. Too much going on in our external world, we need to meditate. Meditation is really, it's, it's about a spiritual pursuit, but more importantly in neuroscience, it's about calming down brain networks that are just overactive. Mm-hmm. And then getting outside, that nature-relatedness and that involvement with nature and the relationship there really makes a difference. So you do 1% at a time, make your life better, eat a little bit better, exercise a little more, sleep a little deeper, have better social relationships, meditate and get out in nature, and you're hitting a lot of the bases. So those things seem to work well. I read also, and I think it's akin to the relationship, is also having a sense of purpose, right? Well, very true, yeah. And that actually, there's a new book out actually called From Strength to Strength. And it talks about this vacuum in the boomer population of people that actually don't have purpose post-retirement. And this is moving into how you can take your previous life and cultivate wisdom and move it back into the, you know, the information community so that you can bestow that upon people. How do you move from strength to strength? And purpose, huge portion of the drive to stay younger. Absolutely. It gets you out of bed in the morning. Well, you know, and it used to be, you know, purpose might have been a grandparent who helps to take care of younger children. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, it could be as simple as I have a garden that I need to tend. Or it could be I'm volunteering to help others because I still am mobile or I can drive or I'm taking my friend here or there. Right. hundred percent. Right. You're entirely right about that. And that's actually one of the benefits that you get in retirement or post or even having that. I'm just going to call it your post-employment plan, whatever that is. So I'm not going to call it retirement, but it's something else beyond that. Yeah. You're not retiring. You're like, it's a new pursuit. And that is, you know, the legacy of giving back and repurposing your wisdom. So absolutely. Even getting a pet offsets that too. Yeah, it's interesting. My dog's six years old. It's the first dog that I've ever had. And it has fundamentally changed my existence on a day-to-day 
basis. Right. It means I'm walking every day, no matter what, right? Whether it's rain yeah. or snow, that dog needs to go out. It means I'm engaging with my neighbors in a way that I didn't before, because if I'm not walking with my dog, I may not see my neighbors, right? Yeah. You know, like it means I'm getting more exercise. It means I'm one of the things that you mentioned is I'm outdoors, right? Which is a huge difference. Just getting up from the desk and not being in front of the computer the whole day. Big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of the cutting edge science that okay, perhaps yeah. is driving some of these thoughts. Well, in terms of cutting edge science, I think a lot of your listeners would probably gravitate toward David Sinclair's book, Lifespan. He's a Harvard scientist. He's been studying aging for 20 plus years. And when you talk about anti-aging, David Sinclair, cutting edge technology for anti-aging, David Sinclair's name often comes up. So that's why I make that recommendation. Mm -hmm. There are a couple other ones, but this, this is a good one. So his book's called Lifespan, and he looks at a whole bunch of other things when it comes to health. And people are starting to notice, like, there are other things that are happening that we haven't been able to see under the hood for a little while. And now we're being able to see under the hood. So we're seeing the interplay of food or specific compounds in food that are making a difference. I'll give you a good example, resveratrol. So remember all the red wine studies? Yep. Well, it turns out that resveratrol, that pigment, has a specific action in the body against a gene cluster called sirtuins, and they seem to have longevity characteristics. Hmm. And in animal models, you can get certain animals to live longer by dosing them with resveratrol. He also talks about, here, I'll just go through a list. He's got five things in his book, sure. in the Lifespan book. It's kind of what we talked about before. He advocates for eating once a day. He advocates for regular exercise, for the use of a pharmaceutical called metformin, which actually comes from a plant called French lilac that actually modifies the microbiome and lowers blood sugar and activates some longevity characteristics, it looks like, resveratrol, so deep red pigments, and then something called NMN, and this is where all the buzz is. It's called uh, nicotinamide mononucleotide. That's what NMN stands for. Okay. And if your listeners want to go look that up. So it appears that that might be sold. It is sold already, but it's being sold on the idea that it's a massive anti-aging strategy. So we're going to see how it plays out. I don't actually think that, based on blue zones, I don't think that you can just use this as the only thing that you can do. Yeah. But there is a lot of cutting-edge science about some of these really cutting-edge supplements that get down into the very basic aging and it's really we rust too, right? So there's a lot of things going on. You get oxidative stress. Yep. So there's a lot going on, but that's the cutting edge stuff. And if your listeners want to look into it, and Lifespan is the book by David Sinclair from Harvard. Perfect. We have time maybe for one more area, and that would be maybe we should talk a bit about the blue zones because I was near one well, that's, very recently. Oh, oh, right. So in the blue zones, what they found in the research, they found five places on Earth that had incredibly long lifespans and a lot of centenarians. So blue zones is a high percentage of centenarians in any given population. Right, like Okinawa. Um, yep, Okinawa. Sardinia. Right. Sardinia. Greece, you yeah. got Costa Rica, you got Loma Linda, California, and then you have Sardinia. Yeah. Those are the five blue zones. And interestingly, there's only one that actually has no alcohol in it, and that's Loma Linda, California. They're a group of Seventh-day Adventists who eat more of a vegetarian lifestyle, but they right. have a cohesive community. So in those blue zones, normally speaking, people have healthy social circles. They eat things that tend to be a little bit high in protein and fiber at the same time. Those are called legumes. Yep. Now, they don't eat the same legumes in every single place, but they do eat them. They expose themselves to them. They eat more plants. They don't smoke a lot. Family is super important to them. And the other thing is that they moderate their uh, exposure to modern things. Hmm. So um, they don't take 
a lot of modern shortcuts. Like sometimes they'll just do something historically the way that it's been done. Yep. And that, what I mean by that is that they actually tend to do a bit more physical activity in the way that they support their own survival, like gardening, farming, walking, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I learned about the Sardinian lifestyle. We got this cookbook from Sardinia. We were close to there. We were in Sicily recently, and I think their lifestyles are very similar. It's a very rustic, agrarian-type style of existence where, for example, you have older people tending their own gardens well into their 80s and 90s. And it's that sense of purpose, which is what we were talking about before, where you know they need it for sustenance, right? Like if they're not tending Absolutely. their gardens, they're not eating because they're not necessarily wealthy. Yeah. So they are actually living that lifestyle that perhaps more of us lived you know, centuries ago. And I think that there's a turn to that, actually, in some places. People want to get their hands dirty, in a sense, and maybe do mini gardens. Makes sense. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and explaining all oh, this. Oh, absolutely. It's always a pleasure, Jamie. You always got good questions and good content, so I'm happy to be here. Thanks again. We'll speak soon. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Welcome back to The Tonic. Your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Cheryl Petruk is the executive director of the Canadian MPN Research Foundation. She's a seasoned patient advocate, and she's a graduate of the Bachelor of Management program of the University of Lethbridge and her MBA in Community Economic Development from Cape Breton University. She is a part-time college instructor in business and HR. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good, and thank you so much. You're here today to discuss sort of rarer blood diseases and, and why it's so important to get regular testing. Just for people who don't know, what are MPN blood cancers? Well, MPN blood cancers are, MPN stands for myeloproliferative neoplasms. They're a rarer type of blood cancer. So in the similar vein of acute myeloid leukemia or chronic myelogenous leukemia, CML or AML, MPN blood cancers come from the bone marrow of a person's body. And it's where there has been a genetic transformation of a gene that has caused to mutate and therefore causes either, well, within MPN blood cancers, there's two precursors to the MPN family of blood cancers called essential thrombocythemia, ET, or having too many platelets in the blood, or PV, which is polycemia vera, which is too many red blood cells in the blood. And those two are the precursors in the MPN blood cancers, and they can progress to the secondary stage in some cases called myelofibrosis, where your bone marrow is becoming fibrotic and doesn't proliferate or overproliferate and becomes fibrotic or hardened in the bone marrow. So MPN blood cancers are similar to a leukemia of sorts. They're in that family, but they're much more rarer, happening probably four in a thousand people. Okay, I actually happen to know somebody who has PV 
oh. uh, happens to be my mother, which is one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on the show. Because when you have a family member who has it, you sort of understand a little bit better about how it impacts. Absolutely. So what we're trying to do is, is trying to create a greater awareness for patients who have PV and ET to understand the whole entire cycle. But they could progress or may not progress to myelofibrosis. So it's important for the patients to have a more developed understanding of the disease and the burden that it has on them. Okay. And why do you think in general Canadians should know about this form of blood cancer? Well, you know, I mean, we live our lives pretty, you know, if you're fairly healthy, you live asymptomatically. You know, you may have a few aches and pains or a few, you know, minor ailments. But when you have a blood cancer, it's really a silent disease because you don't know, um, right. unless there's some physiological symptoms that you're having, you really don't know that you have anything wrong with your blood. Your bone marrow, you know, it's like a mouse on a wheel. It continues to go or it goes when it needs to manufacture blood. But your body doesn't tell you when it, that little mouse on the wheel is either running ragged or overproducing or underproducing until physiological symptoms occur. And so that could be later on, you know, in the game of having a rare blood cancer. So it's important for patients to get their blood checked at least once a year, especially as we age. You know, in a lot of cases, MPN blood cancers are being diagnosed much more earlier in people. Like so in their 30s and their 20s and their 40s. But typically it has been, quote unquote, an old person's disease where our genes will mutate over time and, you know, our DNA will mutate or shorten over time and therefore cause the mutation. But we're finding more and more young people are being diagnosed with either ET or PV. So it's really important for Canadians to have a very holistic view of their health at least once a year. If it wasn't caught on a blood screen, what are some of the manifestations of the disease? So what are the symptomology that might tip off that you have it? Well, you know, so ET, having too many platelets in your blood could lead to a thrombosis or a thrombotic event. So you could have a stroke, you could have a blood clot. You know, those are the more typical. I'm not a medical professional by any means, mm -hmm. but those would be a typical uh, manifestation of, you know, doing a bigger deep into why that has happened. You know, same with PV, having too many red blood cells. You know, you could be lightheaded. You could have other symptoms that may be, quote-unquote, maybe masked by other diagnoses, but really it's, it's PV. We've had some patients tell us that their doctor has discounted their PV because they felt it was menopause or symptoms of menopause. So, you know, itching, puritis is another common ailment of patients that have PV. So, you know, there's there's a whole group of, of symptoms that a patient could have, but they're very common symptoms that could be attributed to other diseases or other conditions as well. So it's really important, you know, if you're not satisfied with the blood work, and it, but the manifestations or the, the blood work would corroborate a diagnosis for the doctor with either PV, ET, or actually MS as well. You said you're not a medical practitioner. So why is this so important? to you. 
Well, you know, it's a personal reason. My late husband passed away from myelofibrosis. He was diagnosed in 1992 with essential thrombocythemia. He had a chest pain. We were trying to conceive to have children, and he had a chest pain. So I urged him to go to the doctor, and they did a blood test, you know, to see what was happening. And then they scheduled him for a bone marrow biopsy, which did indicate that he had essential thrombocythemia, too many platelets in his blood. So over the course, um, we did see a hematologist after that initial diagnosis, and the hematologist said, you know, we don't know much. And this, again, was back in 1991-92 and said we didn't know much about the disease. Um, they actually called it uh, a blood disorder back in the day. So the hematologist said, well, we could put you on a chemotherapy drug, which was hydroxyurea, or you could go live your life. And so my husband chose to live his life. We still wanted to have another child. So we did all the precautionary things. We froze sperm. We, you know, did what we needed to do to get pregnant and so ended up getting pregnant. But my husband still chose not to go on any medication at that time and lived his life pretty asymptomatically over the next 20 years until when he progressed to myelofibrosis in 2010. When I look back, he wasn't asymptomatic, but we didn't know a whole lot about the disease back then. I know much more now, and when I look back, I go, yeah, he was symptomatic. We just didn't know that. I understand you've created a quality of life app for patients and physicians and the research community. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So we know that quality of life is so vitally important to anyone who has a disease, whether it's a blood cancer or not. But what we wanted to be able to do was empower the patient in their own quality of life by giving them a tool to be able to track their quality of life. So there are some prognostic scoring indicators that the medical community has put out and has verified as, you know, qualifiable quantitative and qualitative research questions that they use in the clinic. So we wanted to use that as a portion of the app, as well as asking patients other quality of life questions that they could answer. So it's important to empower the patient on their own quality of life and their understanding of their quality of life and how the the illness what burden it has on them. And then we want to be able to use this, the patient to use this data, to be able to communicate that to their physician, their hematologist that takes care of them for their MPN blood cancer, as well as their general practitioner. Because we know many GPs know very little about this blood cancer. So we want both doctors to know how the patient is actually doing in their quality of life. And then, of course, we want the research community to be able to look at this data in an aggregated and anonymized way to be able to utilize this data for perhaps new treatment options or specific treatment options. So we've put together this app known as the MPN Genie because it came about as, I kept saying, well, the three organizations or the three components of our community are the patients, the physicians, and the researchers. And I kept saying three wishes. And, you know, the genie in the bottle idea kind of (laughs) came out of that. And then as a subsequent kind of fit was my late husband's name was Eugene. And his mom and grandma used to call him genie when he was a little boy. So when I thought of the genie in the bottle, and I kept saying genie, MPN genie, and then it was like, okay. So for me, this is a little bit of a 
legacy to my late husband and the reason why I'm involved in helping this community. That's very noble. If listeners wanted some information about these diseases and getting the app, where should they go? They can visit our website at www.cmpnrf, so Canadian MPN Research Foundation, .ca. We'd love for folks to visit our website. We have a Facebook page under the same name, or they can call us at one 866 644 6766 and give us a shout and we'd be happy to answer their questions or point them in the right direction. We do also have the Canadian MPN Network, which is our patient advocacy and support organization. And they have support groups that are positioned all across the country in major cities. So we have support groups for people to be able to talk to other patients. We have the support groups bring in key opinion leaders and subject matter experts to speak to the patient groups because it's so vitally important that these folks know that they're not alone when being diagnosed with a rare blood cancer such as an MPN. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so very much. It was great to talk to you. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, George Barakat, Dr. Stacey Irvine, David Nelson, and Cheryl Petruk. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The September-October issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. For our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Bussin wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.